You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another late night live. Uh, we should have completed the 16th uh, Ramadan, I think, and we have a very exciting topic ahead. Um, we have special guests in today with us. Um, I'm just going to briefly say their names and then they can introduce themselves and then we can go ahead and discuss with what the topic is about today. Um, so I have um, Maria Adam, I have Dr. Ramanara Chaudhry and Imam Farooq Mullah. So I'm going to pass it over to you guys and you guys can just, we can start with Maria, you can introduce yourself and then you can pass it over to Dr. Ramanara and Imam Farooq Mullah as well to introduce yourselves and what we're hoping to achieve by the end of this late night live, inshallah. Okay, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Um, my name is Maria Adam. I am the founder and managing director of Sacred Body Mind Space. Um, it is a community-based research organisation which is looking to focus on abuses within Muslim communities in Scotland. Rahmanara. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Dr. Rahmanara Chowdhury. Uh, I'm the course lead for the undergraduate and postgraduate courses in Islam and pastoral care at the Mark Finn Institute of Higher Education. Um, I, um, my research background focuses on different forms of abuse, so looking at domestic violence and abuse, spiritual abuse, um, and also a little bit about um, forensic psychology and inequities in the criminal justice system. And um, Imam Farooq? Yes, yeah, so, my name is Farooq Mullah and I've worked as an Imam in the community both here and overseas. I've also worked as an a Muslim chaplain for the prison service for about 15 years. Currently, I'm still working as a Muslim chaplain for Nottinghamshire Healthcare Trust in some psychiatric hospitals. I also work as a consultant trainer for an organization called Strengthening Faith Institutions. And we deliver uh, workshops within the faith communities around safeguarding. So I look at domestic abuse, sexual abuse, and currently I'm co-delivering workshops around spiritual abuse with Dr. Rahmanara. Jazakallah khairun. Um, so we have obviously uh, well-experienced people out there um, in regards to trying to make a, you know, a difference to the community and trying to make our community a better place, inshallah, and trying to address some of the sensitive topics in our community. Um, and obviously Dr. Amanara, Maria and uh, Imam Farouk, you know, you, you spoke about your, your background and what you work in. So can we discuss more about, you know, Mary, you were saying welcome to Sacred and this this mm-hmm. website that you have. And obviously I will um just kind of for the listeners out there, if you're interested, the website is www.sacredbms.org.uk. That's www.sacredbms one word org.uk. Um so Mary, would you like to talk a, a little bit about um what this is about and how we can kind of get the community involved and move things forward? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yes. Yeah, so Sacred uh, is a passion project which began, I guess, in my head a few years ago. We officially became a kick last year in April. Um, so the purpose of Sacred is to really look at addressing um, issues related to abuses within um, Muslim communities, but specifically in Scotland. I, I think that was an important thing for me because we generally tend to have UK-based evidence or UK-based research, UK-based work, which really doesn't give us enough of a understanding or snapshot of what what is going on in Scotland. So the idea of Sacred is we marry um, academic research um, with uh, community development. So inherently what we do is we use community-based research tools um, to gather evidence uh, around issues related to abuse. And we are so, so new um so so like really at the beginning of our journey the first part of what we're doing is um we've got a national piece of work which is research that we are conducting that is looking to explore the understanding and experiences of uh, abuse within Scottish Muslim communities mm-hmm. and I'm doing this in collaboration with Dr Rahmanara and uh, Imam Farooq Mullah um so yeah so that's kind of what our flagship research is Masha, that sounds amazing. I was about to say, you know, um, it's I, I could say perhaps it's a taboo topic where if there's, you know, our community is facing domestic abuse, 
very so often in our community it's like it's okay don't say anything we don't want anybody knowing um but you know these things need to be addressed because you know educating society and society speaking about these issues can if you're raising awareness and you know people are held accountability for these actions can only minimize it and inshallah inshallah i wouldn't say entirely eradicate it but in somewhat you know minimize it because we raise mm -hmm. that awareness and obviously what you have done what you have actually in regards to this website sacred i think it's absolutely amazing um that you're raising awareness on this and you're kind of pinpointing something in the community that that, that really does need to be addressed um dr ramanara and Imam Farouk, how do you um, kind of collaborate with Marion? How what is your role in this, and how can you, um, you know, what is it the changes you want to make? Dr. Amana, you want to go first? Um, yeah, sure, that's fine. Um, so essentially, what we're what we're doing with Maria is providing the academic and the research support. So giving that framework to ensure that the research that we do conduct is done in an ethical manner. It's done up to the normal academic standards. Um, it's going. It's designed in a manner in which um, we try and maximise the potential benefit in terms of the information that we obtain, but also what we intend to do with it thereafter. The mm -hmm. idea of it's not just another academic paper, it's not just another academic exercise, but actually we're thinking about the impact at the end and how we can use that information to support communities and to make a real difference on the ground. Um, so, so that whole kind of holistic framework. Can, can I start? Can I start, Ramana? You're talking about in terms of research, and obviously, you know, um, the research that you get. Could this possibly, if you have enough research, and it's um, obviously you're saying it's ethically approved as well, could this then be posted towards government level and trying to make a difference from that level as well? So it's kind of going to different organisations all the stakeholders in terms of whether it's health, um, you know, you know, police, whether it's, you know, and all that on that level, can that be then posed forward to that? Do you think you're able to get to that level, inshallah? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you look at a lot of government policies, um, academic research tends to underpin it. So mm -hmm. we would definitely look to do that. I know Maria already has a lot of contacts um, within various sectors in the government um, in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So I know she will maximise on that, but certainly bringing that academic sort of robustness within the research will definitely help towards that. And that is that is one of the intentions as well, um, thinking about you know, how do we change things from the ground up, but also how do we change things top down as well? Of course, of course. And uh, is the research going successful so far? Yeah, alhamdulillah, we're, we're, we're still kind of um, in the middle of doing it. We've conducted a total of six focus groups um, in Glasgow, Edinburgh and Dundee. We've also been um, doing one-to-one -one interviews with um, survivors. Uh, uh, we'd also have a survey which is online, which we can talk about in um, a little while. I think just on the point that um, Rahmanara made about this idea that academia um, quite often underpins, you know, things like government policy, but yeah. for us, for sacred, it's how do we use that academic rigor? How how do we use that evidence based approach to really make a difference um, for the lived experiences of of specifically for Muslim communities? And I think faith has a lot to do with why we're focusing on that. You know, this idea that we are such a diverse group of people, but the thing that brings us together as a Muslim community is our faith, um, and ultimately. How do we use our faith not just as um, a tool for support and a tool for recovery, but also sure. how do we understand how the community understands faith, how it's applied, and how it can sometimes be a tool for abuse itself? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and Imam Farouk, um, can I also ask what your role is in this and how is it you can influence and add to this? <clears throat> So, uh, I mean, I can contribute and I am contributing to the theological background. Sure. And as I said, this is a very sensitive topic. And unlike other forms of abuse, you know, which are easier to detect and more tangible, uh, this type of abuse, I don't think a lot of people realize that this type of abuse can take place. Or even if there are victims, they don't realize until somebody points it out to them that yeah. they have been or are victims of spiritual abuse. 
and mm-hmm. hence uh, a lot of caution needs to be exercised and hence i regularly consult senior scholars with some of the the texts that i use in order to counter some of the abuses that have gone on and yeah. as i said collaborating with dr rahmana with her academic and then people on the ground and then with the theological background i think we have a good multidisciplinary team mashallah can i can i ask all three of you um since you have started this how am I allowed to ask this? I mean, how's the statistics looking in Scotland in terms of, uh, you know, abuse? Um, I mean, is it is it quite high in our community? Is it is it kind of leveling out? Is it minimising? Is it is it is it increasing? Because I know with COVID, especially after COVID, through the the national statistics, domestic abuse had raised, I think, by approximately thirty five percent or thirty seven percent. I'm sure I've seen that those numbers somewhere. Um, so I know through COVID, um, domestic abuse overall had risen, but especially within our community, how were you able to uh, retrieve those statistics? Um, uh, do, you, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah. Oh, anybody? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. So from from kind of my my perspective in terms of the work that I'm doing, um, we can't. I can't give you a tangible number. Um, in terms of quantity or kind of quantify what that looks like. What we do know for sure is exactly what you've alluded to is abuse did increase within COVID Mm -hmm. and kind of um, frontline organisations like um, Amina, like Shakti, like Sahelia, anywhere else that deal with Muslim and BME women, they they will be able to kind of tell you uh, exactly what what that picture looks like. What, What we're trying to understand is what what forms of abuse exist in Scotland? What is common? What is underreported? What are the experiences and what are the understanding of what abuse means? Um, I think certainly from the data that we have up until now, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything until we get to the end of it. But what we do know is that, you know, there, there is a feeling that abuse within any form, you know, and, you know, that can go from Islamophobia to anything else on on the spectrum of what abuse is that it certainly is mm-hmm. exists um and that it really is underreported um yeah. and perhaps the not perhaps the the reason why we need this kind of evidence building is we don't have we don't have uh, numbers we don't have mm-hmm. these experiences um that we can report on um from uh from the perspective of the lived experiences of communities in Scotland yeah. and whether that's abuse that's happened like now contemporary or abuse that's historical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know Iman Farouk you touched upon uh thank you for that Maria um Iman Farouk you touched upon the spiritual abuse and obviously a couple of things can you elaborate for for the listeners what you what you mean by that you know, because I, know, I mean, that terminology, I've, obviously I know abuse, but spiritual abuse is something new that I've even heard. Can you maybe elaborate with what that actually means? So even amongst the academic circles, there's not an agreed definition of what is and what is not spiritual abuse. However, sure. a working definition that I am using is a person in a position of religious authority who unintentionally at best and intentionally at worst uses the scripture or text in order to exploit the spiritual naivety of another human being. Mm. So that's mm. a working definition. That's interesting. That's very interesting because, you know, sometimes you, you know, can use parts of um, whatever it is to, to manipulate a situation. And um, I guess, um, you know, coheres somebody else in, in, in the way they speak or, the way they behave so that's quite an interesting uh you know terminology spiritual abuse so you know i'm sure many listeners out there might be able to relate to that so can i um can i ask for anybody that is listening and they're you know they're kind of relating to the things that you're talking about where would they reach out and where could they contact and say this is what we're going through and how do we kind of uh you know how do we get help with this um, yeah, so there's there's organisations within Scotland that you can you can reach out to. Um, Amina is is the obvious one. Um, there are 
And I think that's the thing. We we do have organizations, but we don't have the kind of targeted support if you're talking about something like spiritual abuse. Yes. Um, because like um, you know, Imam Farouk said, it, it is a working definition. It is not something that we have within legislation. It's not something that is recognized or even defined fully. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, I would say that support at this stage is probably minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we as Sacred within Scotland certainly are are looking to improve on, um, mm-hmm. looking to raise a, awareness on. Okay. Rah- uh, actually, Dr. Rahmanara might know of organisations down south. Um, yeah, you know, it'd be great to let listeners hear that. So there's Amna and there's, uh, is there any other organisations down south? So in, 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 in England, I'm also a trustee of an organisation called Replenished. And uh, we work with survivors of spiritual abuse. Uh, however, the funding is limited to Wales, and yeah. in the last six months since we started, we've had 900 callers coming in and using the services, mostly Christians. We've not had any Muslims coming yet. Mm-hmm. Right, so right. within the Christian context, there are there is an organization that I'm working with. We don't actually have a dedicated Muslim organization that I know of who uh-huh. works in this area specifically. Can I ask? Do you think? Do you think in our community, people are afraid to phone, and say they're going through this because of whatever? You know, it's embarrassing. We don't want so and so knowing that we're going through this in the house. Obviously, it's a, it's a maybe a slightly taboo. Do you think people are afraid to phone with what they're going through? Because you don't really hear, you know, in the news or whatever that. I mean, you you do hear the odd time, but domestic abuse you don't really hear a lot in the Muslim community. Do you think people are afraid to speak out in that? Um, so just to add to, um, to to your question and what was said previously, sure. um, a lot of the help organisations at the minute tend to focus on just domestic violence and abuse. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're talking about spiritual abuse embedded within that or even separate to that, mm-hmm. then really you're talking about something that has different dynamics and requires a different type of input. Most of our DV domestic violence agencies are not really equipped to deal with that. Um, you do in England, for example, there are some uh, some Muslim women specific organisations, but again, the whole area is is fairly new in terms of spiritual abuse specifically. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist or that it's unique to a certain community. Actually, when you look across the board, and we've been involved in a lot of them um, 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 uh, interfaith work. Actually, it's across all faith communities. It happens yeah. everywhere. Anywhere where you've got a kind of imbalance of power and potential to exploit that imbalance, then mm-hmm. abuse can occur. It tends to be very much around those kind of situations. So it does happen across all faith communities. The difference in Muslim communities, I would say, is first of all, people are not as aware. So their mm-hmm. understanding of the intricacies of domestic violence isn't that clear. So, for example, a lot of people will think it's physical violence and that's it. So mm. there are very, there are you know there are five other categories actually have you know, are people aware of the dynamics of what they look like, but also um, in some pockets um, it can be very normalised. So for example, you might have women go into marriages thinking that this is what a marriage looks like, yeah. or if you've got a faith setting, you've got young people going into a faith setting thinking this is what my um, this is what I should behave like as a student in this setting. So yeah. it's the kind of normalisation that can happen as well. Um, so yeah, just to just to raise those points, really. So what you're saying, Dr. Amanara, I guess that's that's a really important uh, point you've made, actually. And I think what you're saying is when people are, like, say, going to marriage or they're in a particular relationship, um, you know, albeit mother, father, marriage, you know, is is what's expected uh, culturally, perhaps that this is the way it's meant to be. So they're not aware of well, this is actually me facing domestic abuse. So. Again, that then brings back to this whole, you know, the, the website, sacred website, and what you're trying to achieve is educate people and raise awareness and speak to people in the community, um, use your academic-based, um, you know, your research that you have and trying to implement that and yeah, trying to get you. results from that. So I think it's, it, again, uh, for the listeners out there, just to remind you, if you want to have a read uh, of what this organisation is about, it's called sacredbms.org.uk. Have I got that right? Yeah, just yeah that's right. Yeah. Okay, so sacredbms.org.uk. So do uh, pop onto that website and have a, have a read at that. Um, 
Sorry, Mary, were you going to say something there before I asked my next question? No, no, I think I, I was thinking something that I totally forgot. So. Right, OK, no problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, what you guys are working on is, is really heavy going. And, mm. you know, on, on a personal level, how do you switch off from it? Because if you're if you're reading up a lot about it, you're speaking to focus groups, you know, it's quite it's quite deep rooted and it can quite be affecting. And, you know, how do you switch off from it? You know, how not that I want you to switch off, obviously you're trying to make a difference, but how do you kind of give your own therapy to switch off from this? Yeah, I mean, that's it is it is a really good question. I think I think the kind of starting point of that is the reason why you go into this kind of work is because you're passionate about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's there's a real drive to to make a change, whatever that change happens to be. But yes, yeah, certainly on a personal level, there are times where mm -hmm. it does become overwhelming and you do learn tools to kind of deal with that. A lot of the time it is literally just that, just switching off and just yeah. going back to you know your day-to-day -day, um life but I also have Dr Ramanara who you know I can I can go and dump on and have <laughs> yeah. uh, to kind of just like let, let it all out and then let it be yeah. but yeah I mean, self-care is really important in this line of work of course because uh as you said it is it is deep at times um and, yeah. it, and um it is frustrating at times um yeah. but you know it's 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 part of the landscape yeah, Imam Farouk, you you said that you worked in the prisons as well. I think when you had said that, my eyes just opened. I was like, my goodness, it's really full on. And mashallah, obviously the difference that you're trying to make um, through speaking to people in therapy. I mean, how it would be really interesting to hear Imam Farouk. How do you switch off from all of this? Because <laughs> it's really heavy going with what you've worked through, and obviously in your line of work as well. Uh, be interesting to hear how you switch off from it. Is Imam Farouk there? We might have lost Imam Farouk. Uh, have we lost him? Uh, okay. Okay, right. We'll, we'll hope, inshallah, hope we come back. Um, I don't know if we can send him another link again, try and get him back in. Um, just give me a... Mary, can I get you to try and send him a link to see if you can yeah. get back yeah, in? Okay, so um, what I can ask my next question before we have a quick five-minute break. Um, some of the research that you have done, um, and is there any, you know, you know, uh, you know, routes of prevention that you can maybe kind of highlight through any research that you can maybe look at that you can try and implement? You know, preventing. Um, any yeah. pockets of prevention, you know, that you can maybe discuss through your research that you've looked at? So prevention really is about knowledge. If you don't have the knowledge, you're not going to understand that there's an issue that you need to deal with. Yeah. Um, and there will be people suffering in silence, understanding that they're suffering. And sometimes the extent of that suffering can be really extensive. But in terms of being able to put a terminology, a language and understanding a kind of framework to what they're going through, that might be really difficult. So actually prevention is that knowledge. That's why having these conversations are so important. Um, and once more people are aware, it means what you can then do is start to create environments in which even when the topic, for example, you can you, you get sort of jokes about husbands and wives and marriages and you can get some really stereotypical sounding jokes. But actually, when you explore them, they're, they're really yeah. harmful. Um, so similarly with with domestic violence, with spiritual abuse, you, you you kind of can start to tackle some of that banter, which seems meaningless, but actually can cause a lot of harm. And that's the way to start changing the culture on the ground by having these conversations, by having people challenge um, yes. toxic kind of um, uh, environments um, mm. so that these things are not acceptable at a community level. So people can start to live uh, a life free, essentially, of, of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow, it's. Um, I think. I guess this all just comes down to education as well, and you know, letting people know. And again, mm. another thing that's really important is that people speak out and uh, speak out with what they're going through um and mm -hmm. then identifying you know the the sort of the toxic the toxic environment perhaps that they're living in and know that this can affect because not only would it impact them as a person if they have children 
it's like a vicious circle. The children will affect it, broken families, broken homes, you know, and then you've got trauma there, uh, which will then impact you throughout your life as well. And then people yeah. are going through therapy to deal with that trauma. So it's like a vicious cycle in a sense. You want to kind of try and nip it in the bud from the onset and Absolutely. educate people that, you know, this is not right. This is not okay. He or she should not be speaking to me like this. Um, and, and not be afraid. I think the biggest thing, I, I don't know whether you agree or not, the biggest thing is people being afraid and who to speak mm -hmm. to. How do, I, how do I go about resolving yeah. this issue? Because they're so used to living in that lifestyle with a, with a narcissistic person that when you're living in that, like, how do I come out of that? And once I come out of that, it's like you're living in a void perhaps or, um, you know, who do I who do I go to to get help and can I perhaps overcome this? So I think, again, like you say, Dr. Amanara, that uh, nipping in the bud from the onset and being educated on that and speaking out on that is, is really, really important. Um, what we'll do, we'll take a five minute break, then we'll come back and speak about some of the challenges and, you know, uh, some a few other questions that perhaps we can discuss. We're discussing, um, you know, we have we have special guests. Uh, we have Maria, uh, Maria Adam, Dr. Rahmanara Chaudhry and Imam Farooq Mullah. And we're discussing uh, the some of the the website that they have uh, you know created on sacredbms.org.uk, um, and you know it's regarding um, you know it's basically trying to come to rooted the the community led um, evidence on how to deal with abuse and sure. trying to, trying to basically come up with solutions and educate society on that and get get basically society involved to try and overcome abuse in our Muslim community, inshallah. Yeah. I think I think one of the one of the benefits of um, doing community based research is that it is led by the community. Um, you know, we we look to inform the work based on what is coming out from the ground. We look to elevate the voices of um, those people that would necessarily not wouldn't wouldn't otherwise sorry have had their voices um, heard in, in a way that would make a meaningful um, difference. Um, so yeah, great. Um, what I do want to ask, and I wonder, I won't go into too much detail, obviously, because it's uh, you know, want to keep it anonymous as well, and you know, data protection, etc. Um, but what I would like to ask, perhaps from you know Imam Farouk, is that you know through through his work, um. What type of, you know, how, what are some of the, you know, difficult situations or most common sort of domestic abuse that perhaps you've dealt with and how we have overcome that? What's been the sort of the, the measures that we've taken to try and help that? Are we allowed to discuss that perhaps? Um, and how research has helped to improve it? Is Imam Farouk here? Oh, I think we've lost Imam Farouk again. Thought we had him, but I can fill him fill in for him. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great, Dr. Ramanara. Fantastic. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so, so yeah, I guess one of the key things about this research is um, it's a, it's a different form of research. Normally, you hear about research, and it tends to be researchers going in. Mm. Um, sometimes it can be quite invasive, actually, going into communities and then taking data, so to speak. When I say data, actually, you're talking about people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously uh, leaving those communities and then doing what they do um, uh, with them um, with with the data. Now, what what we try to do here is, like Maria said, it's very much about giving people a voice. Um, and so sometimes, actually, what we find is we're having lots of extended conversations. We have the main conversations where we are collecting information from them. Uh, you know, we're very privileged that they allow us into their lives to have yeah. conversations about things that are quite deep and meaningful and personal to them. And they're obviously sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you know, um, Imam Farouk in particular is having conversations, extended conversations with individuals, um, maybe talking more about the theology, about the faith, about the implications on their lives. Certainly from a domestic violence perspective, um, some of the resources that we already have. So there's a couple of books that I've authored, for example, um, um, some of my other work um, looking at uh, training practitioners in this area to be able to work more holistically with individuals from minority communities. So the whole kind of package, we're trying to bring all of that together. Mm -hmm. In terms of um, uh, specific um, case studies, um, within our published work, 
we do have permission to share anonymously um, sure. some details. So within our publications, you'll be able to get a few more sort of detailed examples of the kind of themes that are arising from this research and what's really mm -hmm. important to people and what matters to them. So we're hoping to kind of give a voice through those publications, but at the same time, protecting them through um, making of it course. anonymous as well. Can I ask through your research, Dr. Amanara, how much has social media or technology influenced um, domestic abuse um, or the abuse in the communities? So at the moment, I haven't seen much in terms of how it impacts on the experience of the abuse itself. Mm -hmm. What I have seen is how it's utilised in the aftermath by survivors. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so mm -hmm. for example, there, there was... a. Uh, an incident that happened abroad with a, a group of uh, revert Muslims and um, how they were able to utilise social media and various different platforms to get their voices heard and mm. how they did that collectively, which made them feel a little bit more safer as well. Yeah. Um, so I do think social media potentially will play a role going forward. Obviously, we need to be a bit careful about that because certainly mm. one of the other things I've found in my research is um, whatever happens at the macro level in society, so whatever the narratives are in relation to Muslims in particular, that mm. filters down into communities and can impact on how we handle it internally. So, you know, the idea of people being um, less willing to speak, in, speak about it in public spaces because it feels like, well, we're just adding more uh, to the fire. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of reinforcing those stereotypes that are already made uh, at a sort of broader national level. Wow, sounds great. Uh, Imam, uh, Imam Farouk, are you here? Are you in? He is here. He says he can, can hear all of us. Yeah, he can people. hear all of us, but I don't know if he can kind of give us feedback or talk. Um, unsure. Um, okay. I don't know if uh, maybe he's kind of come back off again. Anyway, inshallah, it would have been great to hear from uh, from perspective of Manfruit, but maybe inshallah can get him back in at some point. Um, good point. Is uh, my commute? Okay, that's fine. We'll see. It's still in. Okay. Right. Uh, so we can't get hold, we can't speak to Imam Fruit, but he's in the show. But we'll see, inshallah. Okay, so I'll just move on to the next question um, that I can maybe pose both to both of you. Um, in some of the, um, what are some of the major challenges that you faced at the moment in regards to your research and trying to, you know, push for, forward with what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the deep sigh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there are certainly a few. I think the biggest one is actually because we are so new um, mm. and you know, the kind of subject area is is so vast um, and it's so challenging. I think for the community to engage with us, there needs to be a level of trust. So it's yeah. actually building, it's building that, that, you know, that's the first thing is building the trust and how we go about doing that. Mm. Um, secondly, I think it is actually just getting engagement and there's lots of reasons why people won't engage. You know, one 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 that we just spoke about is this idea that, um, speaking about these challenges as a Muslim reflects badly on the faith, it, it reflects badly on the community. This is certainly something that's come out in Scotland as well. There was um, a report published by Vibrant Scottish Mosques. Mm -hmm. I authored that report and, you know, that certainly was echoed in there. This idea that, you know, we would um, mm -hmm. we would stoke the flames of Islamophobia by saying that, you know, we are experiencing challenges and negative situations within some community spaces. Yeah. Um, whether that speaks to safeguarding or otherwise. Um, I think in terms of pushing the research forward, those are probably the two biggest things. Um, and also just reaching out to people. You know, Scotland in itself is a small country, but it's vast when it comes to doing mm. something like this. Of course um, it is, yeah. yeah. I'm, just, yeah. I'm just thinking about the level of data that you have to gather. And yes, as you say, Dr. that, you know, the data is people's lives and... Yeah. When you're trying to look at each individual um, situation, you know what category does that fall in? Is it is it you know how do you then? Um, I guess this is going to be my next question, Maddie. I'm going to let you finish, and then I'll ask my next question. So you were talking sure. about uh, you know the you know the challenge there, and you wrote an article in the vibrant is it vibrant mosques you said a vibrant Scottish mosque. So yeah, that is it's certainly one one thing that came out is this idea that. 
as a community, it's easier to deal with um, our problems, so to speak, in-house. And, you know, I think the other challenge with research like this is uh, more of uh, one that I guess everyone faces is is finance, it's funding. Um, Mm. You know, we're like limited in what we can do. Uh, given that you know we don't have any funding, that's that's number one. Number two is then actually having the manpower to push out, um, you know, as as far as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think for me, right for for sacred anyway, for this piece of research, I think those are probably the biggest challenges. And actually, no, I I will add to that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> our approach, our approach is 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 of um, community health, and you know we're really relying on the model that we see um within the quran of what what does a community yeah. mean what does that look like and that that really means the entire community so men and women so sacred yeah. is very much inclusive of the male and the female experience yeah. and that in itself is actually a big challenge um because in in spaces where abuse occurs you know it's it's majority male um mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is a male population that are doing the perpetrating. So actually, then working with men, um, and being inclusive of that experience, whether as perpetrators, as victims, or as allies, that in itself becomes challenging, um, yeah. in terms of you know, how do we go about doing that in a meaningful way? That can be hard. Can I ask because you're female, and this mm. is just me, totally mm-hmm. you know being honest here. Because you're female, and mm. if you were to deal with you know male you know the the perpetrators as such does that kind of make you does it make it difficult or do you then have to involve a male person to try and deal with that did you get what yeah, I'm so, trying to say? yeah absolutely i think to be honest we haven't got far enough in our research yet to get to that yeah. point okay. up until now up until now the only male engagement that we've had is um with um survivors of abuse Um, and also within focus groups which are very general so the focus groups are uh, you know just looking at community spaces and safeguarding so we've had male engagement on that level but yes certainly I think this is something that we need to work into into yeah inshallah um second question I have um in regards to what you're doing just now is anybody else doing what you're doing in Scotland not that I'm aware of um the approach that we are uh, using i'm not aware of um that no there's certainly people working within this field certainly are um but they tend to be more on the service provision side so dealing with um survivors at a point of crisis and or um you know as a form of support as you know form of therapy or Mm -hmm. any other form of support that's out there i don't know of anybody right now that is looking to build to build knowledge and build evidence um, using sure. using the tools that we are. So, Dr. Ramanara, does your research then, in re- in reflection to that, because it is newish, and, and, and as you say, there are people that are obviously working in aspects of what you're doing. Do, is your research is it easy to kind of um, you know collate research on that with what you're trying to achieve here? Um, well, our experience here in England actually mirrors their experience in Scotland. Sure. Uh, obviously, we've got a larger um, area to kind of cover. Mm-hmm. In terms of people speaking about it, it's still a really tentative subject. There's a lot of stigma around it. There's a lot of trust issues as well in terms of, you know, can I speak out safely? Am I going to be safe after yeah, speaking yeah, yeah. as well? Um, so, yeah, certainly we found very similar issues. Um, I guess when we've spoken to other faith groups, what we are finding is um, they 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 are expressing to us actually that they've not seen this kind of research um, in Muslim communities, and they're really grateful to have the academic input because again, as I, as we kind of have said previously, mm. it all starts with the evidence base, and if you're producing that from an academic basis, then that gives you a good grounding. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and start to create that change. Um, I think some communities are potentially a bit slower than others in terms of moving it forward but in terms of our driver it's it's always been very much about putting the communities first and thinking about the people who are suffering in silent and how we can start to create that change gradually 
can I ask Dr. Ramana in regards to your research that you have done, um, what's the age range of where people are confident enough to speak? I wouldn't say confident, but, you know, they are they do kind of do speak out. Do you have a, a particular age bracket? Are they in their 20s or 30s? You know, I could imagine the later age, like maybe perhaps, you know, 50 yeah. plus, they're hesitant to come out, you know, because you would say, you know, it's okay, I don't want to say anything. We'll just, you know, suffer in silence as such. So where would you say at the moment the age bracket is of, of people actually speaking out at the moment, if they are? At the moment, I, I honestly would say that I haven't noticed a pattern. So okay. sometimes we've had very young people come forward, so early sort of um, adults. But other, other individuals have been, like you said, in their 40s, in their 50s. Uh, it seems to be it's more about their life journey as opposed yeah. to their age and where they've got in that in that sort of journey that they're making in life and their healing process. Of course. And where they course. feel that actually this is something in order to continue with my life in a positive way, I've got to have this addressed, otherwise I'm just going to be stuck in this position. Whereas yeah. for other people, actually, they feel, um, actually, I don't want to talk about this. This is something that happened a long time ago. I know it's happened. Sure. I've dealt with the consequences and yes while I whilst I realize there are still consequences I actually just want to get on with my life so mm. it really it's very very individual based and obviously people have that right to decide you know what's what's right for them whether they do speak out or not of course I mean I guess over time having a growth mindset in this in this mm. society and trying to as you say at the beginning Mary you spoke about self-care is looking mm. after yourself having that self-care knowing that you don't want to suffer like this this isn't right can I speak to my friend? Can I speak to something? And it can kind of start from there. If you speak to perhaps someone that then can then take it forward for you if you don't have that confidence or yeah. have someone to instill that confidence within that yes. person. Like, listen, this isn't right what you're going through. Um, you know, let's try and, you know, overcome this. Let's try and find the right tools to try and help you out this situation. And I, and I guess that's what's really, really important here is finding the right people to talk to um, and the right tools to try and help you out that situation that you're not affected to the level that you already have been affected by. So, yes. yeah, you know, it's, it's quite it's quite important that, you know, what you're doing is you're raising awareness and getting people to kind of focus on that and, you know, yeah. try and help themselves. Yeah. yeah, and I think it goes beyond raising awareness. Uh, one of one of our, our kind of um, hope coming out of this research is that we begin to build meaningful collaborations in Scotland with local organizations and local individuals where we can begin to do some of that some of that work where we can provide creative spaces um, for survivors of abuse to you know sometimes just for a person to say that that this happened to me mm. um, you know for the first time in however many years sometimes that's that's all the person is looking for to be able to say that and have that held um, yeah. in a space where it's not going to have implications and I think that's really important. And that's why being community led is important, because we begin to understand the nuances and the spectrum of what of what the needs are. So, you know, this this research is not meant to be for the purpose of just a report It's meant to be for the purpose of actually now yep. is is building those, um, you know, collaborations and doing it in a way that it becomes part and parcel of of our communities in Scotland, you know, whichever yeah. city we happen to live in yeah you know well you guys have started it mashallah and it's an amazing thing when mary when you told me about um you know when i got the website link and had a look at it and i was like honestly i'm not just saying this my first reaction was like oh my god this is amazing this is so good so <laughs> i remember when i spoke to you on the phone i was yeah. like super excited i was like this is amazing because you know um you know coming through being in education myself and seeing the changes even in education um, mm. through, through you know, over the past 10 years, in particular post-COVID, sort of the, the mental health issues, the health and well-being of, of, of young children um, and, and students as well, and how that's impacted their learning, their behaviour, you know, and domestic abuse, you know, somebody, students suffering from domestic abuse back home because they were, they were locked down for mm. two years. Mm. You know, it's, it's absolutely vast. Uh, looking into it. and I'm sure the data is going out the roof for that reason you know but yeah. uh, it's definitely something that will inshallah inshallah slowly but surely make a change and make a positive change in our community 
and you know and it's it's important for people to do the right thing and speak out on it and uh, and again self-care and looking after oneself because that's you know we're in a manner we we have a duty to look after ourselves um in the right way so you know we can't be abusing ourselves to that level because we'll be answerable for that so um is, is there anything else that you would like to maybe perhaps that's you know quite pressing that you would want to maybe discuss that maybe you want the, the listeners to hear dr amanara if, if if imam farouk is there also if you can is there or, or Maria anything at all that perhaps you want to speak about in regards to your research um you know problems in the community any more challenges anything you want to highlight that perhaps you can discuss my main point would be that um if there are individuals who are suffering and are afraid to kind of come forward um mm. just for them to know that they're not alone yeah. um, and even if they decide that they don't ever want to speak to anyone about it that's fine but if they do ever want to speak to someone about it you know there are um organizations that can support uh i'm also happy to share some links to various resources that might be useful as well yeah. um mario do you want to add about the research and how they can get involved as well yes. Absolutely. I think I would 100% echo what you said, Dr. Rahmanara, that, you know, for anyone that's listening, that, you know, you're thinking, wow, you know, you are not alone. Um, there are a lot of people out there in the same position as you. Um, and, and as far as uh, this research, what we have been doing is having kind of one-to-one -one chats with people. So if anybody would like to come forward, you're welcome to do that. We also have on our website um, a list of support organizations that, you know, are there and available um, to help. We also have a survey online, which you can yeah. fill out, you know, it's completely anonymous. You can fill that out. And that's really general. That's really looking to capture some of the understanding, some of the um, experiences around the issue. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think it's really, really important to know that there are people out there that care um, and there are people out there like us that, you know, one, are creating spaces for these conversations to be had and for you to be held. Um, and, you know, inshallah, just take your time uh, with with your own journey and know that it is a process. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes even, you know, from the point of thinking, yeah, I do want to talk and say something, it can, it can still take years and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Um, so, yeah, it's just to let you know that we're here, inshallah. And... Um, hopefully in the next few years growing as well. For sure, well. Um, and I would just like to add, can you hear me? Yes, we can. I've been on the show throughout, but anyway. So I would just like to add and just to reassure anybody who might be experiencing uh, spiritual abuse that you're not alone. I mean, I have personally experienced some of it myself, so I can relate to it. And I would just like to kind of reassure people that if they have this anxiety that, you know, somehow they might be distancing themselves from faith, actually it will be a lot of reassurance when we use Quranic scripture and, and the traditions that it will help you recover in your faith journey. Uh, and people are sometimes hesitant to come forward because they feel maybe they their faith might be, you know, compromised. But actually it will be the opposite that will happen, inshallah. SubhanAllah, for sure. Um you know, I think, I guess we've all sort of, and I, I'm going to just put it out there and be honest here. Um, I think, you know, majority of people listening to the show in some way or some other has, has faced abuse, um, whether spiritual abuse, physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse, mental abuse. So, you know, everyone in some ways perhaps a victim of abuse. And, you know, it's always good, like you say, Mario, just echoing what you're saying, is speaking out and finding the right tools to try and overcome it. Um, Imam Farouk, that was really good with what you said, using Quranic scriptures to help um, alleviate that pain perhaps you're going through in your heart, um, alleviate, this, alleviate the stress that you're going through and just kind of um, overcoming the challenges that we need and you know, always seeking guidance and others to try and help us through our difficult situations. Um, Dr. Ramana, would, uh, Ramana, would you like to say anything before we kind of wrap up? <laughs> Uh, sorry, yeah, I just posted up. Uh, there's a couple of books in specific relation to domestic violence that may or may not be useful for individuals. So, sure. Dr. Amin, are you speaking away from the mic? Do you like to, would you come oh. closer to the mic? Can you, can you hear me? Yeah. Is that okay? Yes, yep. 
Um, so yeah, a couple of books uh, published by Taha Publishers, which uh, may inshallah be of use to people. So the first one is Qawamun, Protectors and Maintainers. And the second one is Road to Recovery. Um, both of them are in relation to domestic violence and abuse. So I'll just repeat that again for the listeners. Um, is there, I wonder if there's anywhere we can maybe post this. Um, maybe I'll speak to um, some of the producers and maybe post this somewhere for any of the listeners. So the books related are called Gawa Moon, uh, Protectors and Maintainers, and also Road to Recovery, both from Taha Publishers. And they're both domestic violence specific. So, you know, if, if anybody wants to kind of look into that and have a read about it, um and are these books basically um sort of tools in trying to overcome um the healing process dr ramanara um so the first one was written very much about drawing attention to a lot of the misconceptions in terms of understanding domestic violence and abuse and also to um kind of educate communities on the power they have to change things from the ground up mm-hmm. the second one road to recovery was written as a result of a faith-informed recovery program that i developed and ran um, is actually written as a request by the ladies who attended the programme and it's more of a companion to the programme. So it's about that healing process for, for survivors in, in particular. Okay, great, fantastic. So if anybody's interested out there, have a wee look at that. Um, but yeah, Dr. Um, Dr. Imam Mullah, um, Imam Fruit Mullah, I would like to ask you before you kind of switched off, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I wanted to ask a question. Mashallah, you're in this line of work, which is quite heavy going, I would say emotionally and mentally. What are your tools to switch off from it? I'm interested to know. (laughs) It's a difficult uh, question to answer. But, you know, I I, I normally go back to, you know, some very senior spiritual mentors of mine, you know, back in either in the Middle East or in South Asia, and sure. I go and spend some time with them and, and learn from their experiences. And again, going back to the scripture. And I would like to also add that I have come to the conclusion that nobody is immune from spiritual abuse because the fountainhead of all spiritual abuse is Iblis and Shaitan, and Shaitan in, can influence everyone. Sure. So nobody's immune. Yeah. That, that's exactly what, um, you know, with what you were saying. Uh, everyone's been a victim of abuse of some yeah. sort. And, uh, you know, we just have to do the right thing and try and find our healing process in some way, inshallah. And I think that just by talking to other people, you know, you know, when we meet people who've also gone through similar experiences and they encourage us to do, you know, do sabr and vice versa, this actually helps a lot, at least in my case. Sure. Jazakallah Karen. Thank you so much, speakers. Um, I've really, you know, I feel enlightened to know that there's there's hope in the world in this mad world. <laughs> so Jazakallah Khair. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ramanara, um, Imam Farugmullah and Maria Adam. Thank you, Jazakallah Khair, for coming on the show tonight. Um, you know, if there's any questions for any listeners, please do reach out. The website is sacredbms.org.uk. Uh, please do the live survey. Your 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 feedback, your data would really help the progression of um, the goodness that these people are doing. And uh, you know, we're we're trying to be living in a we're trying to you know live in a world that's going crazy by the day. Um, but just trying to help those that are more desperate in need um, through through the abuse. So Jazakallah Khairun, and may you all have a blessed remaining Ramadan. And please remember us in your duas. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa